0: All right, everybody, here we go. Scott Burnside, back with Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre Lebrun, as always, in his construction zone of the house in, uh, in Toronto. Now, Pierre, I will say it, I don't hear too much hammering. Must be the holiday season.
1: Are your, are your work just taking a few days off? or? <laughs> yeah, the renovations are on hold during the holidays. So this will be a more peaceful taping. Of the Team Advantage uh, podcast.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of peaceful, uh, it's not. It's like an anti segue because joining us today, maybe the busiest hockey journalist over the last seventy-two hours, give or take, our very own Sean Shapiro in Big D, in Dallas. Uh, the really, I think, the center of the hockey universe over the last uh, three or four days and sean you've been at the uh, at the center of the storm as it were uh, a lot to unpack with the dallas stars uh with the biting commentary from uh, ceo jim lights about tyler sagan and and jamie Benn, and then just to top just to add a little icing to the cake within uh, you know a few hours of the taping of this podcast, news coming out that the Dallas Stars will, in fact, host Winter Classic in 2020. Um, so lots to unpack here, but maybe just start right from the beginning. I know you wrote about it today, but how do, maybe walk us through briefly how this all unfolded. The, uh, the 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 storm that became Jim Light's commentary on Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. how that un, uh, unfold for you?
2: Yeah, talk about a slow weekend, right, Scott? Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yes. Put your feet up. Relax. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, all of this is, this whole situation is amazingly bizarre. And I'm, I know people were having that reaction when they were reading what I wrote on Friday. And it's even more bizarre for me to think about as the person who was kind of in the middle of all of this. I mean, this really all started with... I got a te- we got a text, there was a text to me, um, to a couple other writers that cover the team as well, that Jim Lights wanted to talk around lunchtime on Friday, and he wanted to talk about general midpoint of the season stuff, and I assumed this was going to be just kind of the meeting where you'd go and we- maybe we'd talk a little bit about where the team is in the standings, talk about how other business things are going, just just the type of stuff that, okay, I'm going to take note of this, maybe put it in a story at some point, point. Not nearly. It did not expect it to be the uh, the the display it turned into. Where get over to his office. We walk in. Even start with the hey, how are your holidays? How was the family? And then, well, okay. Um, I mean, I'm about to tell you about how bad Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn are at their jobs. And and then obviously everyone saw the comments and the result, and it was. It was it was incredible to see a that this happened and b that it was something where I was called in basically to talk to someone and I feel bad for Stars PR person who actually went through and organized organized this meeting and probably had no idea how far this was going to go and and I think about his weekend to talk about busy weekends as far as basically serving this right up to uh, to what it became.
0: So uh, let me, Pierre. I want to bring you in and I want to know what you. I don't know where you were, or if you read it on your phone, or you were at home. But when you read the those comments for the first time in in Sean's piece, in the, the horse manure and all like all of the stuff, what what
1: goes through your mind? What uh, what
0: what are you thinking when you read it the first time?
1: I, I believe uh, my retweet of Sean's piece at the time, and I was at TSN Friday. I was putting in a long shift to TSN. Uh, had a Habs game to do that night in studio and a couple other shows. So the timing was, was kind of perfect because we we made a big deal of this on that sake with Gino Retta and, and so on. But my tweet at the time was okay. Then (laughs) I didn't really know how else to, to react to it in the moment. But, uh, uh, and you know, I reached out to uh, stars owner, Tom Gillardy that evening, as I'm sure Sean saw and, 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 I don't know that Tom Gilardi would have necessarily used some of the words that Jim Lights used, but in terms of the essence of, this, of, of the messaging, there's no question that uh, Tom Gilardi is fully on board. A, he knew that Jim Lights was going to do this, and B, that the owner, as well, is disappointed with his top players. Um, but, but again, that's where the story, I think, starts to have different layers is that, uh, and I think Jim Neal tried to address this uh, yesterday, is that you know, there's there's disappointment in their top players, but because of some of the profanity and and obviously the passion of the moment that came out of the that Jim Light's interview with Sean, a lot of the people were focusing on that just as much as the fact that they're disappointed with their top two players, if that makes any sense. Like, there was more than one story that came out of it, and I think some of that was not the intention. I, I think, you know, it, it, it's clear to me that they wanted this just to be about how rather honestly they were disappointed in their top two highly paid players but the way in which Jim Lights went through the roof of some of his language I think went, went a bit too far.
0: Well, so, Sean, let me ask you then, as this is unfolding with you and I know you you undress some of these layers. I mean, there's a question about how, you know, how does the media cover the Dallas Stars? And, and I think it having spent a year there, it is it's a different marketplace. And until you're there, um, it, you know, it's sometimes hard to understand just how vast a shadow the Dallas Cowboys cast over the entire sports media market there, but certainly for the Stars. I mean, it's a team who's missed the playoffs eight of 10 years. They're on the bubble now. And I wonder if if the timing of this, is, is it surprising to you or is this really uh, the kind of commentary that's designed to, to push these players into and I know several people said to me listen they're they're trying to make Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan uncomfortable in the hopes of getting better production for them and more consistent play given their stature it, were you surprised by the timing or does this make sense to you if that's what they're trying to do the
2: timing to me it's interesting because it's something where it's I've known we've seen behind the scenes and I've heard comments like this off off record about Jamie Ben's play and Tyler Sagan's play for a couple of weeks now. So um, the fact that there was that it bubbled to a public, I don't know if the timing, I don't know if it makes sense exactly what the timing as when it bubbled publicly, but it was the type of thing where obviously this was not something that's just been sitting there and, and, and all of a sudden Jim lights woke up on Friday morning and said, okay, I've just realized this now this is something that they've been sitting on and they've been, frustrated with for for a while now um and it's also something where i think they they've they thought okay we've tried everything we've had our, our coaches have had meetings with the players our our uh our gm has had meetings with the players um and so finally it came down to jim lights and tom collardy essentially said okay well you know what we're gonna try this now we're gonna see uh we're we're we're, we're paying the bills we're paying the checks let's see if we can uh, use this to motivate them and. The timing makes sense for if you were going to do this. The timing makes sense in the way. Okay, it's forty games. The stars are only a couple points out of a are only a couple points out from really actually almost competing for a third spot in the central division, which is amazing to say right now when you think about what when you think about something like this happening. You'd think it's be a team that is sixteen points away from a playoff spot, right? Um, but they uh, they're around the halfway point of the season. They want to really dial things in. They want to and I think they also want to try and prove, like, oh, look, we do have the internal options to fix things, and we can get that done in the second half of the season. And so that's where the timing of this all came into play, of, okay, look, we can get things going. And also, the schedule works out well for... If you wanted to ever give a rant that could, quote-unquote, inspire a team and make it look like there's possible... Like, it could play out well, it's... You do it before you play Detroit, who's not a good hockey team. You do it before a stretch of 14 of 17 games at home. So it's, it's something where... It also gets people talking, and I think I know there's a lot of people who uh, paid a bit more attention to the game the other night, saying how are Benes going to react, and maybe that also leads to more people watching this next this this stretch of just this team, both locally and nationally. Yeah, yeah.
0: You, you you've been you've covered this game for a long time. I mean, you're not as old mm-hmm. as I am, but you you're so <laughs> no, you're not a young man anymore, my friend. It, I, I, yeah. Have you ever have you ever seen anything like this? And is it the kind of strategy that you think i mean does it what's the potential for it to work what's the potential for it to backfire what what's 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 your view on that
2: um i think i think it uh i mean i've never seen anything like this that's i can't i keep trying to think of and trying to figure and figure if there's anything else like this i haven't been able to find anything else like this um and i think if it's the, the biggest backfire I think for management and and it's and it probably starts with it starts with lights comments where if lights makes his comments and they in a more family-friendly manner it probably kind of ends there I also don't know if Jamie Ben or Tyler Sagan ever really see those comments because it's something where I think their tension was grabbed more by the uh, vulgar language than anything um, it's uh, it's also the you take by uh, with his with his language he basically forced Jim Nill to come out and speak on, speak on, on, on Sunday and in right. doing so in, in doing so that led to that took away the security blanket Jim Nill had from this so we, we could have looked at it as okay it's just the owner and Tom Gallllarddi or just Tom Galllllarty and Jim lights are upset and in doing his language and everything like that it forced Jim Nil to get involved and it forced Jim Nil to make public statements and it led to even more of the conversation yesterday where I even asked Jim Nill where we're talking to Jim Nill and he's, and he somehow, and he turns this on the media and you mentioned the media market in Dallas. And it is an interesting media market because there really are only two independent voices that cover the team on a frequent basis. Myself and the beat writer from the Dallas morning news, the rest of the most of the team is most of the team is covered by team media. Um, There's two writers, there's a couple radio people and the rest of the media market doesn't really show up and pay attention to the stars. And Mm -hmm. in, in doing so, and kind of trying to uh, trying to blast these players, Jim Nill also goes and makes a statement of, oh, I want honesty. I want us to be reviewed. He also then turns this on back on him, too. And it also puts more of a microscope on, okay, what has management done? What have the coaches done? What have everything? I, I think for them, they thought they were going to try and put the microscope on just Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan. And what they did was they put it on all of them. And that was not the intention when they sent Jim Lights to, when Jim Lights called me into his office.
1: But I would say this, uh, Sean, uh, and, uh, you know, I hope that you didn't take it personally, what Jim Neal said. I, I don't think, I took it to mean that it's not about the fact there's only, you know, two people covering the team, mm-hmm. more or less. I, I think the point is, I think what he was trying to say, and and this is how I took it, is mm-hmm. that in other markets, the the, the 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 pressure to perform and the level of 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 you know the volume of criticism is at a whole other level that it makes players more accountable and and that's just a fact. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, John John Tavares signs the biggest contract in Toronto Maple Leafs history and comes to this market in Toronto and that's not to say that it's because of the the pressure that exists when you when you're a Toronto Maple Leaf. Because I think John Tavares is a self-starter. But the point is, if he wasn't doing what he was doing right now for $11 million a year, he would be hearing about it. I mean, oh, it, for it, sure. I'm, for sure. and and again, it's not that people covering the Leafs are, are any smarter. They're not. It's just the volume. It's just, they're just more voices and more people. And it creates a kind of noise uh, that you get in Montreal and Boston and Philly and Vancouver and all these places that that you just don't naturally have in Dallas for for sheer lack of numbers right i mean i mean that's yeah. essentially i think what he was saying yeah and that's
2: yeah. And, that, and that's how i read into it too and, and and it's it's interesting too because it's a commentary on it's a commentary on the marketies and and it's commentary on as you said in toronto or vancouver i mean if this was happening someone would write about it someone would be talking about it on a radio it would be in it would be in the vocabulary of not just the media but everyone all the time the Stars have the Stars players have a bit of a luxury where they have if they don't turn on sports talk radio for the 10 minutes they talk about it and they and they don't read about it they're likely going to avoid it because they're not going to run across people who bring it up to them anyway.
0: Mhm. Yeah. I remember it was years ago when then when Mike Keenan was coaching in Florida, and, and I remember a comment he made is very much along these lines, and it wasn't about a specific player. At least I don't remember it that way, but just this notion that when a player leaves the rink in Florida, and to your point, Sean and, and Pierre, you, you, that there is there isn't this sort of organic pressure in outside the rink to be better or to be accountable and it's it, it doesn't exist in in some of these marketplaces and i think it's fair to say that it doesn't exist in in florida right now and i think that's you know that i guess well, let me let's i want to move on and talk about the winter classic and, and what that means to this franchise <laughs> and how important it is but um pierre let me start with you at the end of the day do you think this works at the end of the day uh, will we remember this at the end of the season do you, because the stars make the playoffs and it'll be seen as a turning point or maybe they don't. How, how do you think this plays out uh, in terms of a, a long-term impact on this team?
1: Well, I mean, going back to your question, I think your question earlier about how old I was was meant for me and <laughs> and, and Sean took it, but I don't blame it because Sean, Sean's in the middle of the maelstrom right now. So he should be taking all these questions, but I've covered the NHL for 24 years, as you know, Scotty. And nothing compares to what to what happened here, to Sean's point. But I will say this. There are things that have happened in those 24 years that we still talk about today, even if they're not at the level of this. And I'll give you an example. You know, the San Jose Sharks have been a model franchise forever. But there's been ups and downs. And the stripping of the captaincy of both Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton during this amazing you know, really, twenty-year run in San Jose are still things that people remember, and 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 that's not nearly as controversial as what just trans- transpired here. But my point is, if those are things that we still remember and still talk about, you can just imagine how this will be remembered forever because it's at a whole other level. And and really, to me, we'll ultimately find out how Jamie Bannon, Tower segan uh, feel about this franchise as time goes on. I mean, do they take this, and this I'm sure is what Jim Light hopes, do they take this and and be like the guys in Major League the movie and say let's let's rally around as players against ownership and and play for each other? That would be a great thing for the Dallas Stars, you know. But they could also turn around and not necessarily both of them, maybe one or the other, and say, you know, screw everyone. I'm gonna go through the motions here, and you owe me big money, and I'll just do my own thing. So I think, you know, I think we'll see how they respond. I, you know, I, I've always been, as you know, Scotty, a huge Jamie Ben fan, and and just just love the way he plays, especially when he plays with an edge. But it is it is absolutely accurate to say that he hasn't been quite as effective in the last two years as he was before, and part of that is the, lo- the lofty standard that he set for himself. But you know, we're you know, are we gonna see that player again? And I suspect we will. All right. So, Sean, what's your gut? You're
0: there every day and you've seen the ebbs and flows. And I mean, you and I were around last year when they went from a virtual playoff lock at the beginning of March to uh, basically done like dinner at the end of a six game winless road trip that turned into an eight game winless stretch. What what's your gut tell you? Is this is this the defining moment for this team and those players in terms of reaching their potential and driving this team into the playoffs, which I know degrees of whether this team is as good as the one that won the Central Division three years ago or, or not. But they should, should have been in the playoffs last year. They were good enough. Uh, and I think they're good enough to be a playoff team this year. But what you've got to tell you, is this, a, is this a defining moment on a positive side or a negative side?
2: That's It's a tough call. I mean, it's I think the, the interesting thing in all of this, and I think Pierre's point about the, the Sharks' captaincy is, is, is a great one because I you think about the Sharks, and when this all came together, I remember having a conversation with somebody about we they brought up the Sharks' captaincy thing, and I don't even remember off the top of my head, I can't remember which years the Sharks' captaincy thing happened, but that's something that's always in my mind when I think about the Sharks. And so just to Pierre's point, this is something that will follow the franchise around, and it's not going anywhere. Um, as for this season – I think it's something that I think Tyler Sagan was probably going to improve either way um I think while he has hit a lot of posts and there are parts of his games that game that could be better, I do think that he was kind of he was gonna kind of he was gonna improve either way i think his his he was gonna get a little bit more lucky he was probably he wasn't gonna be shooting as low as he was. And so I think that's na- that was naturally going to happen, and so I think there's going to be some credit given to this rant about why Tyler Sagan got better. The interesting thing to me is whether Jamie Benn gets better or not because I think Jamie Benn, we really haven't seen Jamie Benn take over games like he could. Um, two, three years ago, Jamie Benn would take over games, and he would be that guy who you would watch him play, and he was the guy who that night the Dallas Stars we're not going to lose because Jamie Ben, and we don't really see that guy for full 60 minute games anymore. We see him maybe for 10 minute stretches. We see it maybe in a period. So the fascinating thing to me is what happens with Jamie Ben, because Jamie Ben's a guy who he's getting, he's going to be 30 this year. He's a guy who plays a physical style and he's got that in his, is his contract. Can he live up to his contract and be paid that way with how his uh, how his game kind of goes with his age. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see where Jamie goes, and I think that is going to define whether or not this was a positive or negative. Um, if it's if Jamie Ben all of a sudden somehow finds the the Sochi the Sochi bump finds a Sochi bump out of this, then you know what? This is the greatest thing in the world for the Stars. If he doesn't, it just it just creates more issues that maybe come up later in the future when people start thinking about okay, do I want to go to the Stars just long term? Like, hey, I'm a free agent on July first. Do I want to go play for that franchise? And this that'll be in people's heads. So yeah. I realize I kind of dodged the question slightly, but I think my yeah, yeah slightly, <laughs> well, I, yeah slightly. But
1: and I, I wonder, uh, Sean. Since we have you on, uh, I'm yeah. I'm working the Montreal Dallas game tonight yeah. in studio at TSN. Uh, good old, no better way to spend New Year's Eve than a little Stars Habs matchup. Mm. And mm. Uh, you know, one player that I'm thinking about, just as you talked about free agencies, Alexander Radulov, who of course left the Habs for for Dallas a couple of Julys ago, and uh, essentially w- was offered the same contract in both cities, although I think only reluctantly by the Canadians after Dallas first offered it, as memory serves. But how do you think... I wonder if he would ever be willing to admit... I mean, do you think he's still happy with his decision? Because I can tell you that there was something about the way he played in Montreal, and this goes back almost to the Jim Neal argument about the media thing, but... I mean, he played like his pants were on fire in Montreal. I mean, he he just... There was something about the crowd, and he talked about it at the time, about playing in that, in that atmosphere at the Bell Centre, where he was the most noticeable player almost every night for the Montreal Canadiens that year. And, and, and I know he's had a lot of good games for the Dallas Stars, but from afar, I don't watch all the Dallas Stars games, but i certainly watched them from time to time. I don't know that we've seen the same Radulov since he left. I mean, what's your take on that?
2: This season's been interesting, because when Radulov has been fully healthy, he's been that guy. He's been the... He, He's been the person you had to watch on the ice. He's been dynamic. He's been, it's been, he has been—it's been been—he makes hockey fun. Um, I also think, and, and I think this goes into ben, he's playing with Ben, ben and Sagan qu- quite a bit. Um, I think he also has some frustrations with Ben and Sagan, too. I think there we see it in Radulov's play. It's something Radulov would never say. I think he's a guy who, when you watch Radulov play, he works so hard every single shift. He tracks bucks. He digs bucks out. He does all of that stuff, and there is a pit of energy lacking from Ben. And when there's the energy lacking from Ben and Sagan, I think you start to see some more frustration. Um, I don't know the exact correlation, but I think if you went and Scott knows, Scott knows the, knows the Alexander Radulov hooking call well from last season. Um, <laughs> I think, I, I think you, uh, if, if you went and you kind of looked, I think there might be more, he, 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 might end up getting those more, more of those frustrations, more of those penalties he takes might probably come in those games where Ben and Sagan aren't playing up to his level and his energy. Um, so I don't think he's regretting his decision, but I do think, I, I do think he is, he's frustrated as well with the team because he came here and he came to Dallas, assuming he was the piece that was going to be part of a team that was going to be one of the best teams in the Western conference. And you can't, uh, you can't say they have been in the last two years.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Just before we let Sean go and we bring to a close the first segment of two man advantage, the podcast, uh, of course, this is all the, the backdrop you know this this story now becomes the backdrop to you know terrific news really for the franchise and for the marketplace uh, with the with the news that the Dallas stars will in fact host the winter classic. So in fact, who knows, depending on staffing and the three of us could be preparing for New Year's Eve in Dallas a year from now, getting ready for the winter classic and uh, Sean, I wonder what uh, a how important is it to to be given uh, an outdoor game like this, and certainly the Winter Classic is the, the the centerpiece of all outdoor games on the NHL calendar from year to year. And I wonder how important is this, and it, it, does it take away from it, given what's happened over the last three or four days? Does it take away, does it take some of the luster off this announcement?
2: It it's certainly, I mean, it certainly leads to some like when I saw when we saw it was first uh, came out today, and we saw some of the reactions. I mean, I don't think the stars envisioned getting the Winter Classic, and then people's reaction, people's first reaction being, well, well, again, are they going to play against Jim Lights? Because that was one reaction I saw. Because the tweet was worded, "Don't know who the stars will play against," and someone said, "Well, they're probably playing against the CEO." So, um, the, uh, I mean, this is for the stars. This is a. This is this is this is supposed to be kind of a defining moment for the franchise. This is one of those where just from especially from a business side and something where one of the reasons they really got this and it's something that the stars are really proud of is one of the reasons they got this is how well they handled the draft. Is how well they handled the draft uh, earlier this year. It was the NHL was really happy with how they handled things. They during that time that was when the NHL started looking into started looking into doing an outdoor game in Dallas and and. Not only did the stars get an outdoor game because we've seen outdoor games in L.A. and and San Jose and everything like that. This is the first time the marquee outdoor game is actually leaving one of those core traditional markets. Like this is the farthest south an outdoor game will be played in NHL history. I think. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's farther south, and I'm not sure whether we count the Vegas, the weird Vegas preseason game or not. But um, <laughs> the uh, but but this is this is this is huge for the franchise, and this is something where. As, 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 I, as I was told by one of the front office people, this is they, they are not in the hierarchy. They're not in the hierarchy where they want to be in coverage in, 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 in Dallas. And obviously, it's a Cowboys town. But they also want to be treated like a big market team. And big market teams are supposed to get events like this and get the draft. And if they mm-hmm. can handle this well, and, and I think the big test is going to be them selling it out because I think that's something where, with the market they're in, that's going to be the huge scrutiny of, okay, will they will the people show up if they can? It'll be something that is really good for the franchise. It's also something that, if they can't fill that stadium, people are going to look at it, and it's not going to be a look. And that's not going to be a good look.
1: And, and 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 by the way, how about them Cowboys? I mean, let's 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 make sure we let's make sure we mention that. But you know, it, 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 you know, we 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 mentioned, you know, San. Uh, the reason I bring up San Jose a lot in some of my conversations, the Sharks of all the non-traditional markets, and I guess. I would say Tampa Bay and San Jose over the last 20 years have been these unbelievable franchises in terms of how you should be, how, how, how you, how your franchise can be the best it can be given that they're in a non-traditional market. I mean, I mean the lightning and, and the sharks competitively, uh, stability and, you know, you know, since Jeff Finnick took over the lightning and then Steve Eisman um, you know, the way they draft and develop San Jose forever, really from day one. Stability of ownership, stability of Doug Wilson as GM. So that's that's how every non-traditional market team wants to be, is like the way the Lightning and Sharks are, right? And, and so I, I think my point with, with the Stars is that, and I'm going to say this as diplomatically as I can, but but I'm sure, and Sean lives this, and, and you were there last year, Scotty, it, it, it's sometimes like an invisible franchise at times not, not just in its market. I mean, you're always going to be lesser than, than, than the Cowboys in your own market, but I mean, league wide, it does. It's not a franchise that's created enough waves or, or, or had enough of a presence. Um, it's just sort of a franchise. It's just there. And that's not good enough. I'm sure it's not good enough when you're Tom, Larry the owner, you want to have a franchise that carries that carries more weight, that wins more games, that has more buzz, that has more people talking about them, and the reality is they've just not been that franchise for a long time. Well, I, I see, I would I would argue that that was why
0: last year was so disappointing for that team because I thought that they had, and not just because I was there, although. Well, you draw your own conclusions, but no, I thought last. Year, I thought last year with the hiring of Ken Hitchcock, which you know, as it turned out, there were some there were some flaws that it didn't work out the way people had thought. But you have Ken Hitchcock there. You sign Alexander Radulov. You have Tyler Sagan, who is emerging as one of the the most exciting offensive players in the NHL. You have. Jamie Benn, who is an elite player. John Klingberg steps to the fore with a legitimate discussion about, you know, with his inclusion in the Norris Trophy discussion. All those things were happening. And I, I thought, to your point, Pierre, that that team, I thought, you know, through about 60 games, that that team was was tracking the right way. I mean, you think two years ago and when Patrick Sharp was there and they won the division, and it, maybe this is building to what you were talking about. And when they collapsed in March, and frankly, when Ben Bishop got hurt, and yes, there were a lot of you know a lot of excuses, but frankly, they didn't get the leadership that they needed at critical times, and and it and it fell apart. And you know, I, I think that you, I think you're you're right, Pierre. This is this is a franchise that is searching for something more than what they have, and now they have this golden opportunity to play on the NHL's biggest regular season stage with the Winter Classic next year, and. You know, hopefully if, you know, if, if they are, if they do what they are capable of doing and they're a playoff team, um, maybe this starts them in the right direction. But you're, I think you're right, Pierre. It's been, there's no question. There's a huge level of frustration with this franchise and where they're at. So um, normally I don't give the last word to anyone but myself, but Sean, uh, I'll... You have been doing yeoman work for The Athletic uh, and a uh, uh, terrific uh, job in a very difficult and, and pressure situation. Um, I don't know. What do you do? You, uh, do I'll, I'll ask you this simple question. Do you think the Stars make the playoffs? Are they a playoff team come mid-April? Do I
2: think the Stars make the playoffs. Um, I think Not to put you I, on the spot I, here. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. You, know what? yeah. you know what? I'll. I think they get in as the second wild card. I don't know if they do anything with it, but I, th- I think they get in as the second wild card. That's, and I can make the case one way or the other. But to put me on the spot, I'll, I'll go with a second wild card spot, and maybe, uh, and, and maybe that smooths some things over. And I, either either way, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see what happens the first time they lose a game after all of these comments because they won the other night. And I'm just I'm fascinated to see what happens the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, terrific work by you, Sean Shapiro of The Athletic in Dallas. And Pierre, always good work, but your work here is not yet done, so don't go anywhere. As always, we'll return in uh, just a moment with the second segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Sean, have a great new year and keep up the good work, my friend. Thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, happy happy holidays, guys.
0: All right. As promised, here we are, back for the second segment, Two Man Advantage the podcast. This is the last one of 2018, Pierre. Do you, are you feeling a little nostalgic, or you know how are you feeling as we head into uh, the, the the final hours of 2018 and looking ahead to to 2019?
1: Well, um, yeah, hours away from 2019 here as we tape this today. Um, it's it's very exciting. Um, I guess I. Um, can I say that uh, I don't feel like horseshit? Is that uh, <laughs> is it, is it Dude, too early? Can... To...
0: <laughs> it's too early. I, I don't think it's ever too early to say that. And <laughs> and I've never thought that of you. That's the great thing. Like in all the years I've known you, I've never said, you know what? Uh, he's like that, so uh, no, it's good. But I, I, so I want to ask you, where where do you think we were exactly eleven years ago? Now it took me a while to do the actual math on it, but eleven years ago, right now, do you remember
1: where we were? What uh, what do you think we were doing? I think were we not in Buffalo, New York, uh, on ah, the nice. on the eve of the first ever Winter Classic?
0: Yeah, see, that's why it's nice to work with a pro like you, right? I didn't even have to tell you, I didn't text you to <laughs> warn you I was going to ask you this, and uh, but you're right. I was thinking about it today, um, and it's been a couple of years since I've been to a Winter Classic, and uh, it may. I, in when I, you know, I've been seeing our pal Joey Mac is at uh, Notre Dame getting ready for the the big game between uh, Boston and Chicago on on New Year's Day, and uh, I, I'm I'm a bit nostalgic for it, and I wonder. You know, 11 years it's that's a long time and it's a long time for this property to be going and and I wonder what you remember about, um, you know, as we were getting ready for really what was completely unknown right? Like, we had no idea what it was going to look like. We had no idea whether anyone was gonna show up. Would they have fun? What would the game be like? And I wonder what you do you do you remember what you were sort of thinking going into that game, uh, which turned out to be, sort of a seminal event I think in terms of event planning for the NHL and and, and really did um, I think it, I did I think it was an important moment for the NHL in terms of its profile and and thinking outside the box and those kinds of things
1: yeah and I think you know I, I do remember how much folks at the league were kind of holding their breath heading into that day because of the weather and and whether or not the game was actually going to be played and I think there was a lot more stress around that than anyone actually kind of let on at the time, Scott. <laughs> That's what I remember. And, uh, and and you wonder, looking back, had there been a postponement that day? And and I think the reason there was risk of that, if you remember, is that uh, it was snowing quite heavily. Yeah. Um, which produced sort of that, you know, magical, you know, look for uh, Sidney Crosby scores in, in the snow in the shootout to win it. Uh, over the Sabres, uh, it looked terrific. But certainly in terms of visibility, because of the snow, I think a lot of people are holding their breath that first day. And, I, you know, looking back, had there been a postponement, would this whole thing have, you know, and I forgive forgive me for the pun here, would this whole event would have snowballed into what it's become if there's a hitch the first time? You know, if there would have been a hitch... Would everyone had been, been in such a hurry to keep doing more and more and more? I know it sounds weird to say that, but I, I do think the first one is important that it all sort of happens without anything negative and, and more or less, that, that's what happened. And I think that was yeah. important for the league. Yeah, well, and I mean, you sort of think back, and it uh, it really
0: was in some ways the, the the dark ages when it came to outdoor games because it was before the NHL had their portable ice machine, and you know, where they're able to really go across? Well, I think they have two of them now, and so they can cr- crisscross the continent. Um, I was at an outdoor game at Dodger Stadium a, a few few years later, and and it was it was. It was beautiful. It was what, it was one of my favorite outdoor games. And uh, at that, and I think to your point, at that very first game. And I know Canadian fans will be having their hands up. Oh, there was the Heritage Classic in Edmonton, but this was the first, you know, New Year's Day. This was the this was the, the big deal for the NHL to unveil the the first Winter Classic and uh, having Sidney Crosby and the and the Penguins come into Buffalo. Um, and and you're right. I mean, the ice conditions by the end of it, remember, they were shoveling the snow every five or six or seven minutes. Uh, the ice was breaking down because it was so cold. And I saw a highlight just recently of Crosby scoring that shoot at winter. And the snow is like he, he looks like a snow Right. The snow is coming up off his stick. I, no wonder Ryan Miller couldn't make the stop. Probably couldn't see the puck, so um, you're right. I think you're, there is sort of a fine line when you go back to that. To make, what if it doesn't go that way, or what if mm-hmm. you know what if they have to you know, they have to stop the game or, or whatever it is? I, I think you're right. I think history maybe views this event completely differently, and um, and instead it's it's something that's uh, you know it's a marquee event. And uh, let me ask you this: and are are you jaded by it now? I mean, maybe after 11 years, it, certainly the. the the newness is is different, right? How could it not be? But do you feel much differently about the Winter Classic now or how what's your take on it?
1: Yeah, I mean it doesn't have the same buzz that it once did. I think now it's become an event that is special where it is on site and but it's no longer an, it's absolutely no longer an event I think where fans across the league feel they have to stop everything and and tune into. Uh, I, I just think some of that had dissipated, and predictably so. It's not at the end of the world. In fact, <laughs> a couple of days ago, when I started hearing about the setup for for the Winter Classic in Notre Dame, I actually had to look up which teams were in it. But I should have known. <laughs> I, sh- I should have known Chicago was in it because I think that's a rule. The Blackhawks <laughs> have to be in every single Winter Classic. But uh, I actually forgotten seriously what, what teams were in it. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know. For the fans of those two teams and and for people that, you know, are there this year, I think it'll feel special. And I think for people tuning in, it will be, huh, man, I'll watch a few minutes, but then I'll probably watch something else. I mean, I, I just don't think it gravitates like it did before.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, i got a couple of things I want to ask you about before we close out the final two-man advantage podcast of 2018. But do you have a – when – What's your? Do you have a favorite Winter Classic memory? You and I did a bunch right in a row, right? We did, we mm-hmm. every year. That was sort of a. That was a, that was the thing. We were going to be on the road and we were going to be at the Winter Classic because it was that important. And of course, the second year they went to uh, Wrigley and that was Chicago and Detroit. And um, before Chicago really sort of had ascended to the to the top of the NHL mountain. And uh, so is, is there a moment that sticks out for you on or off the ice? I mean, maybe it was just the uh, Sterling company you were keeping, but uh, is, there, <laughs> is there one
1: that stands out for you? I think the year that I was in Ann Arbor and uh, Detroit and Toronto hooked up, uh, I just think the magnitude of of, of the big house and, and just the way it looked that day, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, and I think half the crowd were Leaf fans who would come across the border, and uh, I just thought it was just, uh, it just looked amazing that, that day, to just, you know, so many fans uh, two original six teams and uh, and a fun game and uh yeah probably that would be the one for me Boston Montreal uh in Fox Pro was was pretty cool too but I, I'd say probably the one in uh in Ann Arbor
0: yeah no that's a good one and uh I, I think for me um yeah there were a couple right I, I had never been to uh Fenway before before the game there. Uh, I think that was Philly, Boston the first time there. Um, But I I think for me, the one that I I enjoy and and I think back uh, quite often is uh, Citizen Bank Park in Philadelphia, Rangers and Flyers. And part of it was the alumni game. Bernie Perrant and seeing Bob Clark and Eric Lindros on the ice together. And um, I think you wrote uh, uh, quite a piece on just what what that meant for both those, you know, sometimes combatants over the years to appear together as part of the alumni squad for the Flyers. And I think there were like 45,000 people watching that alumni game. That was, that was pretty cool. And, of course, at the end of the Winter Classic, which might have been one of the most dramatic because if I'm not mistaken – uh, Danny Breer had a penalty shot in the final minute and was stopped by Henrik Lundqvist and the Rangers won the game and then John Tortorella complained immediately after the game that he thought the referees were trying to fix the match and yeah. you, was, I remember you and I at the back of the press conference room looking at each other we're like wait a minute didn't they just win? Didn't the Rangers win this game? And John Tortorella was all over that but I believe he was fined subsequently for his comments, but uh, that's the one that sticks out for me. It was a pretty dramatic game, and uh, um, but lots of fun over the years for those. So, and I'm pleased to have spent many of uh, many of those Winter Classic days and nights with you uh, um, all right a couple things just before we wrap up here I, I was curious what you made of a couple of deals made by edmonton gm peter shirelli uh trying to get the oilers uh the slumping oilers back on track uh acquiring some defensive help uh i'm just looking at the actual numbers here at petrovic coming to Edmonton from Florida and sort of curiosity part of the double dealing um, with Brandon Manning, another defenseman coming over to Edmonton, of course, uh, familiar to Edmonton fans as he was the player who uh, checked Connor McDavid out of his rookie season, uh, sending him into the boards with a shoulder uh, collarbone injury, I guess. Um, in uh, Conor McDavid's rookie season. Uh, do, do you see this as, uh, I think Peter Shirelli himself said, you know, these are not sexy players, but they're players that are important for trying to solidify the defensive structure of the Oilers. You, you, what do you make of, of these uh, deals just before the uh, end of the calendar year?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that, uh, yeah, they're not huge trades. I mean, these are both third-pairing-type defensemen that the Oilers picked up, but they were desperate. I mean, they were desperate because ever since uh, Kleffbaum and, and uh, Oscar Kleffbaum and Chris Russell went down, I believe the Oilers have given up 31 goals in seven games since then, and a pile of games where they've given up 40 or more shots. And, um, and And so they were absolutely leaking defensively. The oil work, get it, get it Um, And and so I think it speaks to Really the desperation of the moment Again, I I don't know that (laughs) I think we'll look back at the end of the year And not really spend too much time On these two trades But you understand in the moment What they're trying to do They need a couple of live bodies With experience who can come in And try and play some steady minutes But again, these aren't top pairing guys Manning and Petrovic but there are guys I think that Ken Hitchcock will have a bit of trust in. And I think a lot of this is just trying to find some, a bit of defensive, a defensive hold here because the Oilers have really kind of stepped back ever since. I mean, Clefbaum is, is, it's impossible to replace that guy. I mean, he he was playing unbelievable hockey for the Oilers and his absence in particular has really been felt, I think.
0: Yeah, which I will say this So it's, it's um, you know, it's interesting. We spent a lot of time in the uh, first segment talking about Dallas and all the things that are going on there. But you know, the whole central division is kind of it's kind of whack now. Right. I mean, you've got Winnipeg who are, are sitting on top as we're chatting now. Um, Nashville has been slumping. Um, now, they did come up with a huge win. Actually, literally, while you and I were chatting, they finished off a victory uh, in Washington. Big, huge win for them uh, over the defending Stanley Cup champions, but have really been struggling. Of course, uh, Philip Forsberg, uh, still out of action, so they've been missing him. Colorado is in, you know, they've won two in regulation of their last uh, 10. They're 2-6-2 and two in their last 10, struggling there. Uh, Winnipeg, we mentioned there, Dustin Bufflin is going to be lost lost uh, for a month maybe more Uh, so that there is sort of uh i don't know where you know maybe it's just the ebbs and flows of the season but uh, do you see this is this sort of a change where you look at the central in a little bit different view and maybe does it open doors for you know sort of wild card possibilities in the you know whether it's edmonton or minnesota or even vancouver uh shout out uh, on this very day by new jersey but uh do you do you look at the central any differently than you might have at the
1: start of the season? Well, I don't know if I look at the central any differently, but going back to Edmonton and, and the Pacific, I look at the Pacific differently because I thought in the opening 5-6 weeks that the Pacific was so behind and and you know, seemingly no one, you know, getting any traction in the Pacific and then a bunch of teams took off. I mean, that division yeah. it looks so different now and you know, Calgary leading the way, but San Jose's finally found its footing, which is less surprising. But Vegas has after a really an opening month in which the Golden Knights could do no right, and now can do no wrong again. And so those are the three teams at the top. But then behind there, you got a surprising Canucks team. You got the Oilers that are still have a shot at making it. Um, so you know that that you know Anaheim can't score, but they're getting Vesna trophy goaltending from John Gibson when he's healthy. So that that Pacific Division has has, has shown a lot, uh, <laughs> really, since uh, mid to late November. A lot of teams have taken off there, which makes the task even more difficult for an Oilers team to to try and get in because there's lots of competition just within their own group um, yeah. to co- to come out of it. And I think again, you know, they're not sexy trades, they're not big names, and I don't know how much of a difference those two guys are going to make, but it speaks to the urgency of the moment that Peter Chiarelli is trying to salvage some points there because every point's going to matter all all the way to the end for Edmonton. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. It's funny. You mentioned the the Vesna and you mentioned John Gibson, obviously his play so important for a a Ducks team that, that really, (laughs) they really do struggle to score and have gone through, you know, a host of injuries and different issues there. And I I really enjoyed your, uh, I'm not just saying this because, you know, I have to say it, but I really enjoyed your (laughs) mid season awards piece, which came out on the athletic two or three days ago. And I, I I love those kinds of stories um, because it does, it makes you think about, well, where we're, you know, which players are trending, which way, and what kinds of kinds of surprises have we seen? And I'm, I'm curious when you were putting that together, what, which trophy was, gave you the most pause, which trophy when you were like, okay, here are my four or five guys. Um,
1: which one gave you the most difficulty? I'd say the Norris. Uh, I, I really, and I know a lot of Leaf fans are aggravated <laughs> with me that that I didn't uh, give the uh, the Norris to Morgan Riley. I certainly gave a lot of thought to doing so, and I may end up doing so. The beauty of doing this at the holiday break is how much a, a lot of it is okay. subject to change before you actually vote for real come April. Obviously, because so much of the season is still to be played out. Um, but I think. Debating between Morgan Riley and Mark Giordano gave me a lot of pause for thought. And there's other great defensemen having great years, Chris Letang in Pittsburgh, and you know Ryan McDonough. I, I made the point that guys like McDonough no longer ever get mentioned. It's like Vlasic in San Jose over the years. The you know the great shutdown guys. You know, unless you're filling the net, it seems like no one wants to think about you for the Norris. But McDonough's yeah. playing outstanding hockey for the Tampa Bay Lightning, the first place Lightning um but really to me it comes down to to Riley or Giordano at the moment and it's really you know it's really tough to pick i think they're both excellent choices
0: yeah no and you know i mark it's interesting tracking well, both Mark Giordano and then the Flames because it was, it was a two or three years ago and he was uh, I believe it was a biceps injury late in the season but he was poised he was having a terrific offensive season but was also really had I think opened a lot of people's eyes to his uh, you know, versatility and his complete game on the back end for the Flames and had had the injury and probably cost him at least a Maybe a spot on the final ballot for the Norris, and then there were a couple, you know, a couple off years at coaching change. You know, Bob Hartley left, and Glenn Gulodson comes in, and uh, of course now Bill Peters there. But I think you're right, and and the, the Flames for me are one of the surprise teams. I just thought I just thought they'd be a bubble team, and here they are as as we're chatting today, uh, plus twenty six sitting in first place, uh, tied in points, but to have three games in hand on Vegas to, atop the uh, the Pacific, and are I, I think they're they were fun team to watch but they they're the real deal defensively as well and Giordano was a huge part of that so I, I i can see where you're coming from with that so did you get all, so were were leaf fans outraged I, I think leaf fans are given to outrage now when people they feel that, <laughs> that people don't give them enough credit were were
1: they outraged uh somewhere yeah I and mean, the funny thing is uh I, I just love some of the commentary sometimes and uh listen fans are passionate i love it it's it's yeah. If they weren't, we wouldn't be able to do what we do for a living. So uh, God bless them. But uh, I, I think one of the comments was another typical anti-leaf bias in Lebron, <laughs> with, with which came within the same 24 hours of another uh, reader complaining that all I do is write about the leaf. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it is funny, uh, as they say in the, eye, in, the, in the eye of the beholder, what, uh, what, what people think of you sometimes. All right. All right.
0: And you know what? I, I, I actually make notes to myself uh, as we lead up to podcast time. And I, I made a note to myself several weeks ago. And, you know, we get off, we get going, and then it's over. And then I say, oh, I wish I'd asked that. But so before we close out the final episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, uh, there's been a lot, a lot of discussion about goal songs, and some of the teams are having goal songs. And I, I thought, well, I want to know what's Pierre Lebrun's goal song? So you're, if, if, you know, whether you were playing in the NHL and scored a goal, or maybe it's just when you write a phenomenal piece and your goal song. What would you pick? Well, I want to know. I well, have a I'll guess. S- I'm gonna. I, 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 I have I, a I guess. I'm gonna
1: say you know what my ringtone was for many years, uh, <laughs> and the only reason it isn't now is I haven't figured out how to download it on my <laughs> new phone. But uh, obviously, the Brass Bonanza. Come on. I mean, All right, the I, I, greatest I think- <laughs> goal song in the history of the sport. <laughs> and, and and by the way, I just I mean, I know Hurricanes fans are kind of we're kind of torn by the whole Whalers night thing. And and I get it. You know, I mean, yeah. I think it was our colleague Arpin Basu in Montreal that made the point that uh, as an Expos fan, he probably would have been outraged if the Washington Nationals had ever had an Expos night. But but I don't know. I, to me, what can I say? Um, I view it obviously a lot more neutrally because I'm. I'm you know, not a fan of any team, and but I just love the Brass Bonanza. and it yep. brings back great memories of of you know watching the Whalers in the '80s and and loving that song when they scored. It was, it's just a great song, and uh, absolutely hearing that song that night uh, on December 23rd uh, when the when the Hurricanes beat the Bruins, it, it was amazing the way it sounded and, and the way the crowd reacted to it through the tv screen i absolutely love it i mean i i i tweeted this and much to the again this must be my thing these days but i think much to the uh, angst of a lot of hurricanes fans but i I mean i i would i would make this their goal song permanently but i know it's not going to happen because again hurricanes fans don't want all things whalers to be permanent.
0: Well, I'll tell you, if, they, if it came down to the fact that they won every single game while they were wearing an old uh, retro Whalers jersey, they might they might put up with it for a team that hasn't been to the playoffs since nine, But the uh, wins have been difficult to come by for the Canes. So they may have to go back to the brass bonanza more often if they want to stay in the playoff. Run, but, uh, and I knew that you were going to – I figured you would pick that. I thought you might go with fireworks from uh, the hip, but no, I, oh, I, no. I, I'm with you.
1: Yeah, so that's a good choice for you. So, all right, my friend. Although my ringtone now on my phone is a little, little bones from the tragically hip. So, there you go. So, you do, you do really know me more than people realize. (laughs) <laughs> that's a bit horrifying actually so
0: all right my friend well listen the best of 2019 to come for you and uh look forward to uh, as i always do to chatting with you and next time we do it'll be a new year and uh and we'll be moving forward but uh, always a pleasure my friends and happy new year to you and to your family right on
1: right on same to you brother